Thank you for choosing Baudoa on the Slice and Dice podcast. I hope you're sitting comfortably as our story is about to begin. It is said that if you were to look hard enough, magic is all around us. Some say that magic comes from nature, from the trees, the plants and the animals. Some believe it to be a gift from the gods, a gift given to those deemed worthy to wield it. And others still believe it is a resource that can be tapped into by only those with a predisposition to do so. But I believe that true magic lies in stories. Each person has their own story, which they tell over the course of their life. And when different people's stories come together, that is where you find true magic. Our story takes place in the continent of Baudoa, a land of kingdoms and queendoms and of rival duchies. One such duchy, the Kosu Duchy, is due for its annual Midsummer's Eve event, an event in which the world-famous oracle, Bibideo, emerges from his cave, answering the questions burning most in the desires of those that see him. And due to his magical insight, he can answer those questions without them ever being asked. This event has drawn folks from far and wide across Baudur, including a young man by the name of Kido. Like you, Kido knows little of the world of Baudur, having grown up entirely in an isolated community to the northeast. He is set on the road in the hopes of finding someone, someone very dear to him, but whose details we shall save for now. Kido has been sent on a pilgrimage from his village, having shown gifts given to him by the gods, the folk believing that this is a gift from the god of storms, Talos. Whoever this god is, perhaps they have smiled upon young Kido, for on his travels he learned quickly of Bibideo and the prophecy at Midsummer's Eve and has made a beeline for the town of Shekna, the town nearest to Bibideo's cave. Arriving in evening before Midsummer's Eve, he already noted the amount of strange folk that had gathered in this town, although to Kido most folk were strange, having only grown up with a select group of individuals back in his village. Being a somewhat shy sort, Kido kept himself to himself and made sure to wear his chainmail armour when approaching the cave the next morning. When morning came, the town was almost completely deserted, with all those strange folks now gathering by the cave. Many were chatting excitedly, but all went quiet as Bibideo was spotted emerging from his cave. Decked out in fine robes and with many jewels, Bibideo gave all the grandeur that would be expected of a world-famous oracle. As he went to speak, however, a voice cried out from the crowd. Danger! On the hillside! Kido looked round and saw a red-haired woman pull out a longbow aiming at the hillside. Following her gaze, it took him many moments to spot the grey rocks moving across the incline. They were not rocks, however. They were dwarves. Grey dwarves. As the red-haired maiden loosed an arrow, panic began to set in in the crowd. With grey dwarves surrounding the meeting, there was nowhere to run but towards the cave. Kido just had time to equip his shield as he ran to protect the oracle. 
as javelins began to rain down on the crowd. Some showed less concern for the oracle and more for self-preservation. A sprightly nobleman in red and black pushed his way through the crowd, even if that meant pushing people into the oncoming javelins. He took some comfort when he heard a battle horn blare. Help would soon be at hand. But some would need help much more swiftly. The red-haired woman who warned of the ambush took two javelins to the shoulders as she tried to make it to the oracle, collapsing at his feet. The oracle went to tend to her wounds, but the grey dwarves would soon be upon them. Akido arrived first, grabbing the red-haired woman and suggesting, tentatively, that the oracle should withdraw into the caves. The warning seemed to fall on deaf ears, until a man in dark, strange robes approached and angrily commanded them to head into the cave, before letting off some arcane energy from his fingertips, striking a nearby dwarf. Kido looked up as he dragged the unconscious maiden, surprised to find her wearing scale mail beneath her large travelling coat. But what he found more surprising still was seeing a half-elf in no armor at all going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Grey Dwarfs using just her sword, her fists, and her feet. These were strange folk indeed. Akido could not admire the view for long. Grey Dwarfs began to surround him, striking at him with their warpecks. The first blow struck him, and to everyone's surprise, lightning erupted from the wound, shocking the assailant. But even this was not enough to deter the ambushers, and soon Kido fell. Unable to resist the onslaught, the oracle, the man in the strange robes, and the nobleman in red and black all fell to the barrage of javelins. With things looking bleak, the half-elf picked up the oracle and fled, just about making it to the cave entrance. When she turned to look back, she saw a relieving sight. Reinforcements, cavalry bearing the duke's livery. After the battle, with their wounds tended, five individuals were summoned to the Duke's chambers. As they wait outside, the man in strange robes turned to Kido, asking him how he was able to summon lightning from himself. Sheepishly, Kido replied that it was a gift from his god, when pushed, answering that it was Talos, god of storms. The man in red and black, meanwhile, was listening at the door and could hear the sounds of an argument within. Eventually, the doors are opened, and the five are led inside to meet the Duke. The Duke wastes no time in introducing himself and telling the group why they have been summoned here. Regrettably, the seer Beabadeo had been slain. The Grey Dwarfs, or Duragar as they're otherwise known, have been a menace for some time in Kosu, but have never attacked in these numbers before. The Duke believes the Dwarves are gathering at an ancient forge one that is believed to possess ancient magical weapons and rods of arcane power. An army would be ineffective for this task, but a small force, perhaps five individuals, would hopefully cause less of a disturbance and be able to gather information about the dwarves and their purpose there. The Duke offers to pay the five handsomely, should they accept. Though most agree to this offer, the man in the strange robes asks more about the ancient weapons and rods of power appearing to take far more interest in those than any amount of gold. Hesitantly, the Duke allows the group to take any magical items they should come across at the forge. In order to write out the contract, the Duke gets his steward to take the group's names. The nobleman in red and black is named Sir Giles Malevera. 
The man in the strange robes is called Zenkishi. The fist-fighting half-elf is named Myrta. The red-haired woman is named Mara Supret. And Yankido makes five. Each of the five are given the Duke's token, a coin with an eight-pointed star. They are told to meet the Duke's agent at a tavern called the Golden Bowl by asking for the Blue Special, a sort of code. They agree and are each given 20 gold pieces to be going on with. As the others file out, Sir Giles extravagantly and courteously bowing before the Duke, Kido stays behind, requesting a private audience. Nervously, Kido admits that he has no use for the gold, seeking only the answers the Oracle would have given him. He reveals that he is looking for someone and hopes the Duke may be able to point him in the direction of a further lead in exchange for his assistance in this mission. Regrettably, the only lead the Duke has is with the Spymaster, whom the group are due to meet, though he shares some sympathy for the young Kido's plight. Arriving at the tavern, Sir Giles takes the lead, giving the code to the barmaid, and quickly the group are led upstairs to the meeting. There they meet the Duke's spymaster, a dwarf by the name of Etta Arkath. She expands on the Duke's information, noting the great forge is known as Kundrakar and used to belong to her people. Apparently, its location is near a hill called the Stone Tooth, Goblins have also taken residence in the area, and so the group should be wary of this on their travels. She also adds that the dwarves are not just interested in the magical items and rods of power within, but are also taking slaves too, usually big and strong ones. At this, Kido suddenly exclaims that they must free the prisoners. But Etta soon squashes this, noting that the five of them could not hope to take on the thousands of grey dwarfs alone. Embarrassed, Kido backtracks, suggesting they save any prisoners they find on their way. Reticently, the others agree. As part of the contract, the group are offered food and bed for the evening at the Golden Bowl, which they gladly take. Sir Giles offers a round of drinks, and so the evening begins. With alcohol loosening their lips, the barmaid inquires where each of the group have come from, noting that they are not locals to Schechner. Sir Giles hails from the Osnath Duchy, that along with Kosu being two of the duchies that make up the geopolitical alliance known as the Four Duchies. Myrta, the half-elf, lives in a monastery not too far from Schechner. The locals appear to have heard it, though the rumours they had heard may not have been true, such as monks being able to fly, which Myrta certainly cannot. Zankishi, somewhat reserved, only reveals that he comes from a place far away that the locals would not know. The barmaid presses further, asking if he comes from the desert lands to the south, but Zankishi does not answer. Mara claimed that she lived in the Cloud Peak Mountains, much to the astonishment of the barmaid, for it is a wilderness up there and very inhospitable. Nevertheless, Mara insists that that is where she hails from. Being coy but reticent, Kido only admits that he comes from a village in the mountains to the northeast. Satisfied with that information, the barmaid questions no further, leaving the group free to drink through the rest of the evening. Whilst Kido quietly sips his pint, the others prove far more enthusiastic drinkers, though perhaps without the capability to back that up. Drunkenly, 
Mara approaches a half-orc at the bar. It turns out he is the head of the watch and someone who may have useful information. The watch captain is all too aware that the Grey Dwarfs have been taking prisoners, which is enough to entice Kido into the conversation, but he has not seen any memorable folk pass through recently, with the exception of Midsummer's Eve. During the evening, Sir Giles seems to take an interest in the young Kido, perhaps to take him under his wing, but Myrta seems suspicious of the nobleman and so interposes herself between him and the young Kido. As the hour grows late, the group decide to head to bed for the evening and to reconvene in the morning to get some final provisions before heading on their mission. Thirty miles is a long way to travel, particularly if there are dangers on the road. And with emboldened grey dwarfs in the vicinity, danger lurks only just round the corner. What a strange group of individuals. Do you think they'll get on? And more importantly, do you think they'll be successful in their mission? Find out in the next chapter of Baldoa on the Slice and Dice podcast. Want to see our story brought to life with stunning artwork? Support us on Patreon now at patreon.com slash sliceanddd6.